You're listening to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. I'm your co-host Lizzie, and this is Dean. We'll be covering all topics relating to health, fitness, and bodybuilding. Join us as we use our in-the-trenches experience and up-to-date science to provide you with information that you can actually use. If you like what we do, be sure to give us a like, follow, share, and tag us on social media. You guys would not believe how difficult it is for me and Dean to record this episode today. Oh my God. This is actually take two. Yesterday in our little one bedroom apartment with a loft, we tried all different rooms. I tried being out on the balcony while he was upstairs. Someone started chainsawing. There was echoes. We figured this is actually okay. We've got good audio. We recorded it, listened to it back. It was fucking terrible. Even after trying to clean it up in some platform. So I am at a cafe today in Porto, Portugal, while Dean stays at home. And let's see how this audio goes, shall we? Yeah. It's probably a good thing anyway, because I remember abusing a lot of subpopulations of dumb people that used dumb supplements yesterday. So maybe I won't do that today. Okay. All right. So this is part two for supplements. In part one, we covered generally beneficial supplements that people in general would benefit from. Um, and that episode seemed to take up that entire category. So today we're going to try and get through the rest, which is somewhat beneficial. Then we've got conditionally beneficial, meaning they're beneficial on these conditions that you're old, that you take PD, say you have issues with your sleep, whatever it is. And then we're going to go through a couple of supplements that are an absolute waste of money. Um, but before we do, personal update. What the bloody hell's going on, Dean? <laughs> It's funny you say that, what the bloody hell's going on. I just asked Coach George if he was trying to pick up some Aussie slang in preparation for his trip to Australia at the end of this year because he shared a very Bogan-esque comedian from Australia on his Instagram story. Um, so okay. how the bloody hell am I? Um, I'm well. Was the comedian Jim Jeffries? No, he's the best Australian comedian out there, though. He's very funny. Um, I don't know I this like guy. Him. He has a mullet. I didn't find him particularly funny. Okay. Um. His jokes suit his haircut. Shit. <laughs> which, is, which, which is what he was talking, the joke about was about mullets. But um, isn't it funny that like shit haircuts are now in fashion? Well, this is part of his, his bit, yeah. Um, okay. Mullets have become fashionable, which is, you know what? They're not conditionally beneficial. They're not somewhat beneficial. They're certainly They're a waste never of fucking money. <laughs> if you've got a mullet and you listen to this, you're not welcome. <laughs> so uh, I'll do a personal update because it seems to be straining for it, Dean. We are both in Porto, Portugal right now. Uh, Dean was here two weeks before me. I joined him recently. Uh, we leave in a few days' time. It'll be four weeks in total for you, Dean, here and two weeks for me. I would say the highlight of the trip is definitely that gorgeous bridge. We, um, we, we loved Lisbon when we came to Portugal like a year ago. And I wasn't expecting to like Portugal, sorry, Porto as much as Lisbon. And the first day that I arrived, I was like, yep, as I thought, this place is shit house. But after about 48 hours, seeing a little bit more than just like one street, um, I think I like it more than Lisbon now. Mm. And they also have something here called a Francesinha. How do I pronounce it? Francesinha. All right. Tell the people, what is this? It is a sandwich of all of the meats. So... At least the one we have, there's different, I think, variations. But we had one that had ham, it had sausage, it had steak. Then it has a 
coating of cheese, I guess you could put it like it's wrapped in cheese. It's wrapped yeah. in cheese, yeah. Um, and it is then baked in the oven, or various ways they cook them. Then did you it... mention that that it's sandwiched between bread? So there's all this meat in a sandwich. Did you mention well, bread? I don't know. In if order you did. for something to be a sandwich, does it not have to have two pieces oh, yeah. of bread? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps it does. It's a mm -hmm. meat sandwich, um, and then yeah, coated in cheese. Like think square cheese wrapped in a big cube. Don't think like sprinkled cheese on top of a pizza, you know, like creates a tomb of cheese. Um, and then it's baked in the oven, obviously melted, fried egg put on top, and then a special Francesinia sauce added on top. Now the sandwich you have to picture is in a bowl so that when you add the sauce, the sandwich sits inside the soupy sauce and has the yeah. fried egg on top. And the soupy sauce is like a salty beer-based tomato-y type thing. It is so uh, good. It was delicious. It was so good. Liz, I, I sent it to our friend Joppo. G'day, yep. Joppo. Hi, Joppo. Um, who's a cheese lover. And he went, oh, my fucking God, is that a sandwich? And I said, yes, sir, it is. And he went, out of 10, give it to me straight. What is your ratings? Uh, I'm going to go like a solid eight and a half or nine. And is that on a sandwich rating or on a general food item rating? A sandwich rating. Okay. What yeah, about yeah. general food? Wow. Like if you had to rate your favorite meal out of 10, how does it sit? God. I'd probably give it an eight and a half. An oh, eight. wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, eight, eight. Eight and a half is too high. Hmm. Yeah. How about you? I, I said as a general, like, meal item, probably like a six. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I'd get it again. It was tasty, but it didn't, like, knock my socks off. It was, however, far better than I expected it to be as a sandwich. So as a sandwich. Well, we did get a fancy one. Yeah. As a sandwich, I rated it like an eight. But I wouldn't say it was as delicious as, like, a really good burger. And it kind of okay. sits in that burger sandwichy sort of realm. So okay. I'm going to say, like, you know, if, if a top 10 burger, a 10 out of 10 Dean, burger is what it is. Yeah. It's, we should it's wrap more. this up. Yeah I, know. yeah. I feel like we've been talking about the sandwich for a while now, which is only found in Porto, I believe. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a Porto Portuguese thing. Mm. Um, okay. So moving on. Do you want to get straight into it, Dean? We're going to start with somewhat beneficial. How many supplements are you going to take us through in this category before we move on to conditioner? Uno, one. Just one? Just one. What is it? Beta or beta alanine. Oh. Uh, so beta alanine, it's classified technically as a rate-limiting amino acid. And what it is rate-limiting on is a thing called intramuscular carnosine, uh, which is a dipeptide, two amino acids joined together that is inside the muscle tissue that is responsible for helping your body buffer out the fatigue-inducing metabolites of exercise. So what that means is if you don't have enough beta-alanine, it is the limiting rate or capacity then of intramuscular carnosine stores to go up, which means your capacity to then uh, recover from like high-intensity anaerobic-style exercise becomes reduced. Or conversely, if you increase beta-alanine, it increases intramuscular carnosine, which increases your capacity to do more work at a higher rate okay. repeatedly. Meaning for bodybuilding style workouts, not as beneficial because it's not aerobic unless you're doing like CrossFit, which isn't bodybuilding, I suppose. Yeah, pretty much you can think of like anaerobic, anything that affords or so anything that requires you to do something like exceptionally difficult for greater than 30 seconds, but less than two and a half minutes. Like the most 
glycolytic is the term or like beneficial from a beta alanine perspective, the most beneficial would be people that are either like running at that limit, like an 800 meter runner the whole time, mm -hmm. um, or somebody who has to like run just on the limit. It's called like their lactate threshold um, yeah. where they need to run just on the limit, like a, like a marathon runner. And yeah, they're yeah. spending like periods there. So like for a, a weight trainer, like a CrossFitter who's doing repeat bout sets, absolutely beneficial because the recovery in between sets would be fantastic. For a bodybuilder who's sitting in the like eight to 12 rep range, probably not really doing a hell of a lot, uh, mm. at least not physiologically. Psychologically, yeah. potentially beneficial um, because um, the individuals, say again? The tingles. Yeah. Individuals who use it uh, can um, have a response known as paresthesia, which is just basically pins and needles or itchiness is probably a better terminology of the skin. Um, and that sometimes is associated with obviously training and then that association drives the, the want to train uh, and it is potentially like a placebo effect, I guess, and that the tingles do absolutely nothing for you physiologically, but psychologically they get you ramped up. Mm, if anyone's ever had a pre-workout supplement before and felt like they've had really itchy lips, it probably has beta alanine in it. It not yeah. only makes your skin tingle, but if it hits your lips, put on lip balm first is my trick. I, um, I quite like the sensation. I feel kind of pumped up. I don't know what why itchy makes me feel like that. <laughs> I remember the first time does. I took it, I was picking up my ex from her work. I'd taken this pre-workout. You had a girlfriend before me? Yeah, I know. It was called Horsepower. And it was retarded. It had like eight grams of beta alanine in it. Now, efficacious dose of beta alanine, depending on if you want to do multiple doses per day to like reduce the risk of uh, paresthesia, is like the 1.8 grams two to three times per day for a total of three to six grams per day. Or you can bang it in at all in one go, right? I believe horsepower had eight grams per serve from memory, or it had the full efficacious dose of six grams. I can't remember. Maybe not but double scooping up. She came out of her work and I was standing there in a baggy t-shirt, like arms out like Jesus, just trying to get breeze. And I was just like, this is so fucking uncomfortable. I don't know what I've done. And then I remember like <laughs> sitting in my chair of the car and like, as you sat back, like all of the itch on your back, it was like the little needles that stabbed you. And I was just like, oh, and I just drove to the gym the entire time. So uncomfortable. I fucking hated it. Um, but anyway, the reason, the reason why I put in somewhat beneficial just quickly is because um, it's promise in the research in the early phases were like really, really good, like highly efficacious. Everybody who used it saw pretty much benefit in that anaerobic threshold. Um, but since then, there's been like a few things that have come out that have shown not, no benefit. So it kind of sits in this, like it's probably beneficial. Uh, for mm. most people who need it for that particular outcome, but it isn't necessarily something that we should all use. And it's sure as shit doesn't need to be in a pre-workout. If you're buying a pre-workout for performance, like acute performance enhancement, it's doing absolutely nothing for you. Uh, but if you take that same pre-workout every day and you get the efficacious dose of three to six grams, then in about two to six weeks, you'll see benefit from it. Um, so right. that's why I put it in the somewhat as opposed to the other. So it's not like caffeine where 20 minutes later you get the benefits. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So if you're a person that's not particularly consistent with your supplement intake, probably not the one for you. No. And if you really wanted to get the benefit out of it, you'd be probably likely to be like, yeah, like a CrossFitter or a triathlete, like two to four weeks out from a competition, you've done all of the training to drive the adaptation you wanted. And now you want to sprinkle in the pixie dust that makes you just that bit better Then you'd add in the beta alanine. Yeah. And unlike creatine, there's not a saturation Correct. Mm. Yeah, you take enough creatine over a certain amount of days, it's going to saturate the cell and taking any more doesn't give you any more, but it will sustain the level of saturation. Whereas beta alanine levels seem to increase intramuscular carnosine indefinitely. Uh, there is a far sharper, like 
uptick in intramuscular carnosine in the first two to four weeks, and then it peters off and gets far less, but it does continue to theoretically rise um, over time. Why do we say something peters off instead of Dean's off or Jordan's off? Oh, I'm not really sure. I have no idea. I often wonder if I even say some of these sayings correctly. Is it teeters off? Uh, Teeters off? I don't know. Did I say Peter? I'm going to Google it. You said Peter's off. Hmm. I may have, I may have done fuck it's, that. It's up. not even a word. Yeah. It's it's teacher off. Yeah. Did I seriously <laughs> say Peter's off? <laughs> yeah, it kind of caught me off guard. I was yeah. like, is it? What did who's Peter? Fucking Peter. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's oh, a good Peter. one. Hmm. Everybody I like share it. This. I'm not even going to edit this out. No way. Like, share this tag me and laugh. If you can't laugh at yourself for making mistakes, what's wrong with you, you know? I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, Supplements part one, you saw my boob. Supplements part two, Dean says my brain instead explodes. of Peter. <laughs> uh, All right, so now we're going to move on to the next category, which is conditionally beneficial. And what we mean by that is this supplement is beneficial on the condition that you have an injury, you're taking performance-enhancing drugs, whatever it is. And so I believe, Dean, within this conditionally beneficial category, we're going to go through those who are taking performance-enhancing drugs, steroids, um, supplements for sleep, if you have issues in that area in general, and then we're going to do um, supplements that you probably are taking because they're really common, but they're likely not as beneficial as you think they are. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? You did. Nailed it. All right, take us through the steroids. Uh, so I will say that there are obviously more supplements to discuss in all of these more than likely. Um, but I wanted to try and highlight like a couple within each category that at least have some decent research to show that they will likely be beneficial to most individuals as opposed to it's like mechanistically, this makes sense that it may work, but we don't have any proof in the research to show that it does. So the two primary supplements for PED users that I think will be beneficial um, for anyone that is using them and they both do have some pretty good research to suggest that they will support all centered around um, cardiovascular disease uh, management and trying to prevent any uh, risk profile for cardiovascular disease because taking PDs in of themselves is going to increase your risk profile for that. Supplement number one is vitamin K2. Um, it is basically in there to try and minimize and or reduce plaque accumulation in arterial walls which is going to help with minimizing the risk factors for all-cause mortality and also cardiovascular disease, specifically atherosclerotic events. I love that word. Um, I don't love it as much as familiarity. I always fuck that one up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so vitamin K2 is pretty cool. Um, Dosage? 100 uh, micrograms per day. I wanted to say milligrams then, but 100. Um, then you've got citrus bergamot. Uh, citrus bergamot is a, a cool one in that it has been shown to decrease LDL cholesterol in blood plasma levels when we're talking about getting like a, a marker reference by getting your blood drawn. Um, 1,000 milligrams a day would generally be sufficient enough to support a lower LDL environment for individuals that are not genetically predisposed to having poor cholesterol or dyslipidemia, it's called. Um but it may be necessary to take that upwards to 2,000 milligrams per day or two grams. They usually come in 1,000 milligram or 500 milligram um, dosages. A uh, jump? Say again? So that's a jump from 1,000 to 5,000? No, 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 500 to 1,000. Oh, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. Apparently my ears are dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 
usually you'd be you'd be taking that daily. Now you can take these precautionarily or you can take them reactively. It's up to you. Um, I would say that they're both quite benign supplements and are likely worth the the precautionary approach uh, because even even from an anecdotal or empirical perspective, I've seen um, citrus bergamot lower LDL in a blood panel within six weeks at a thousand milligrams by a significant margin to get people back into reference range. I will yeah, ask you wouldn't though, suggest. Sorry, you wouldn't suggest that people just start taking it. They should get their bloods first. Uh, yeah, I mean, you would, it's always good to see where your natural reference point is or where your, your stable reference point is. And then if yours are bad and you introduce it and you see benefit, happy days. Um, but even if you have good LDL, I would still consider potentially using something like citrus bergamot. Um, but I'd, that's that's one that you could maybe not use because if, you, if your LDL is good, then it's good. The vitamin K2, I would probably um, prophylactically use regardless because plaque buildup is something that you don't see happen overnight, whereas LDL can shift relatively quickly depending on dietary mm. means and a few other things. So uh, the okay. vitamin K2, I would definitely um, prophylactically use. Um, the, the next one I'm going to mention, but I won't really talk too much about because it's probably one that requires one, some doctor supervision or some like more specific supervision. And that's vita, uh, sorry, um, red rice yeast extract. Uh, and the reason being is because it has an, uh, a naturally active constituent in it that is the same as a statin, which is like a pharmaceutical um, dyslipidemia drug or anti-high cholesterol drug. And the reason why I'm just going to pass over it is because, again, it's it's been shown to be quite beneficial because it has the actual active ingredient in it that you'll see in statins at lowering LDL. But it's not as simple as high LDL, therefore take this. You should be doing some further diagnostics around the type of sort of uh, cholesterol that is is potentially negative. So there's a thing called APOB, which generally like goes up in, in relation to an increase in LDL. So you can typically assume that if you see high LDL in your blood markers, that you may also have a higher APOB. But there is some relationships or some individuals that have what they call a discordant relationship. So they don't go with each other uh, in, in parallel. Uh, of which case then then your high LDL marker of the blood panel may not actually be that indicative of, of dyslipidemia. So if you have high LDL, you make dietary interventions, you don't have a genetic predisposition to it like your parents or your grandparents have dyslipidemia, um, and you're otherwise you know, in a controlled body fat state, aerobically healthy, et cetera, et cetera, and your LDL is still shit, then speak to your doctor, get an APOB. If that's shit, speak to your doctor about potential interventions, but red rice might be one of those ones then. Uh -huh. So, but it wouldn't be the first thing that people jump to, you're saying? No, no. Yeah. Yes. Uh, next category, sleep. Sleep. Yeah, I decided I only put one in there. There's, there's a whole host of things in here that could be potentially beneficial um, to individuals. Just like drinking to yourself to sleep. Yeah. A bottle <laughs> of wine and a straw. Why not? Just don't drink too much <laughs> wine, though, because then you have to get up to pee. You know? <laughs> it's true. It's a double bad. Break the seal. Yeah. Um, but the reason I put in it was melatonin. Um, and that's because melatonin is responsible for actually engaging sleep naturally as it is. And we can put it in ourselves. And it's under the conditionally beneficial one because it is typically not necessary for most individuals. But it may be beneficial for somebody who is trying to shift um, their time zone. So like somebody who's traveling, uh, especially bodybuilders who are going from Australia to Europe to compete. And they've only got five days to try and re-engage sleep patterns that are healthy for recovery and all the rest of it it's a fantastic mm -hmm. intervention to potentially do that both on the plane and then as you land you're trying to like reset that that time clock hey you know what i just thought an another um like another appropriate use of melatonin so right now we're in europe as you know dean 
And for listeners who aren't familiar with European summer, it's not getting dark here until like 9.30, 10 p.m. And Dean and I usually go to like we're asleep by 10 p.m. And it's really hard to wind down and get sleepy and have that natural production of melatonin when the sun is hitting you right in the face. So that could be inappropriate use. Like do your best to pull the curtains, take some melatonin. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's in the same realm as the shift worker, essentially. Mm, That's another time that I found like a lot of validity and potentially using melatonin on days where they're having to sleep in the daytime. Um, You can engage the use of melatonin in the sort of 45 minute window prior to sleep, as well as a whole bunch of like environmental interventions, like you said, blacking out curtains, getting the temperature right, even appropriate food, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Not maybe being even, stimulated right before bed. Like yeah, get and ma- like minimizing caffeine consumption in the six hours prior and like maybe even using some other supplements to make you feel a little bit more relaxed. You know, but there's, there's a whole host of things, but the melatonin mm. itself at like somewhere between one and three milligrams is typically enough to engage the sleep that you want. Um, mm. Whereas some individuals may need to go as high as like 10 milligrams too. So start at the, the, the lowest possible dosage and work your way up. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Love it. Honestly, I think um, a good bedtime routine is so undervalued when it comes to getting to sleep and staying asleep. And like most supplements, they shouldn't be <laughs> the first thing that you, you reach for. Um, we often find that like really simple changes make such a huge difference to our clients' uh, quality of sleep and quantity. Just things like, like what's something that you do, Dean, that you think is really vital to a good night's sleep for you? Uh, a very hot shower before I go to bed. Okay. Explain the temperature thing. Uh, I make myself specifically quite hot then so that my body is, is forced to essentially cool me down, which then sets me up exceptionally well for sleep. Um, I noticed Because we seem to I, sleep better when we're cooler. Yeah. I noticed that when I, if I get into bed warm and I'm forcibly then driving down that temperature to get cool, I, I get to sleep. The latency between like shut eye and actually being asleep is way faster. Mm. yeah cool for me i would say there's like two things that are parallel and important one would be light exposure for some reason i feel quite sensitive to light so even like lamps and stuff i'll I'll drape like a t-shirt over a lamp to even dim that further um and except when dean comes up to the bedroom and wants whatever item of clothing is over the lamp and then it gets bright again that was fun thank you it's usually my sleeping shorts (laughs) yeah that was last night um, and the second one is doing something that I find mentally relaxing. Usually it's reading. It could even just be laying in bed with my eyes closed, like doing some breath work or something like that. But it wouldn't be scrolling Instagram, watching an action movie on TV, thinking about like some comeback that I wish I said to someone five years ago. Like those things aren't really helpful. So light exposure, some sort of mental relaxation exercise. Mm. Yeah, I, I noticed for me, if I get into bed, I'm like, oh, I just don't feel like sleeping yet. Even just a simple read then of my Kindle, I'm like, give me five minutes and I'm done. And, mm. and Kindle's not blue light either, is it? No, plus I do wear blue light blockers just to sort of minimize the glare on it. But yeah, you can turn that thing right down. Um, but it, that yeah. is, it's very it bright. Gray, like that. When it, wants it can to get be. bright. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. But I mean, yeah. that's... it can be. All right. Um, is that, and then we're going to go for generally, like the, the general category within conditionally beneficial. What have we got? Yeah, so a couple of quick ones. Protein powder, conditionally beneficial. You don't have to have protein powder, but there are times if, in which it's beneficial. Yeah, you're consuming insufficient protein within a day. It could bump you up. Yeah. It could supplement your <laughs> protein intake. Oh, my God. <laughs> my <laughs> um, what else? 
on the same sort of uh, family, I guess, is collagen peptides or collagen proteins. Um, they're definitely not as effective at muscle recovery or driving a muscle uh, protein synthetic response, like a growth response, as what typical like complete proteins are. But they are, have been shown to be fairly beneficial in regards to improving the recovery of tendon and ligament health, specifically around exercise. Um, so you can look to, if, you, if you're somebody who's had tears and you're coming out of surgery and or you are somebody who has general like ligament damage that you're trying to try and offset pain, et cetera, uh, you could do roughly 10 grams of that around the workout, either in the pre-workout phase or the post-workout phase is typically um, tolerated quite well. Um, and that's basically all you need. You don't need to even uh, factor that into your protein intake for the day. Um, so that's that one. Cool. Um, we could technically throw in there the same style again, which would be like an essential amino acid supplement. Um, if somebody was in a large calorie deficit, completely fearful of muscle loss and was training intensely on an empty stomach and, a and, vegetarian. Didn't, have, and didn't have carbohydrates available to fuel that workout, then EAAs could potentially offset that risk profile. Not to be confused with BCAAs. No, we'll talk about those last intent mm -hmm. uh, so they are the essential amino acids you do have to get them from your diet your body does need them they are the reason why animal proteins are typically associated with being a higher quality protein source than non-animal proteins because they have all nine essential uh, amino acids um, and i mean yeah like there may be some cases to suggest that they could help with recovery around training in the absence of sufficient protein feeding or in a like you said at the beginning i think uh, a vegetarian or vegan diet if you're trying to fortify those with amino acids <clears throat> then EAAs have been a suitable solution to do that. Um, however, it's 2023 now, and I'm imagining in the next 10 years as well, the quality of um, vegetarian and vegan protein sources now is, is becoming increasingly better each time uh, with each yeah, year. Like so I imagine and... they almost might have become null and void. Um, in, there's actually really... Um, EAAs will become null and void? Yeah, in the, in the protein fortification concept. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Just quickly for those who are like, why would a vegetarian diet benefit more from EAAs? Just, just maybe quickly explain that. Yeah. So there's usually like one with regards to like bodybuilding and, and body composition optimization. It's kind of like what we're talking about here mainly. If huh. you want to try and drive a protein, it's called muscle protein synthetic response, which is like turning on muscle growth and or minimizing muscle loss you need a certain threshold of amino acids to do that. And then there's typically one amino acid that's responsible for it called leucine. It's one of the branched chain amino acids, which is also one of the essential amino acids, the BCAAs, they are, they're, they're within that nine. Um, the reason why you may want to use like an EAA to fortify a vegetarian meal is because they are typically lower in those essential amino acids and therefore lower in leucine. So you need to eat a much larger protein uh, serve per serve or protein amount per serve in order to, to, to flick that switch of that threshold. So mm -hmm. like for a reference point, usually you'll have enough leucine and amino acids from the essential amino acids and BCAAs in a protein source from an animal source. If it's from whey, you'll usually get enough from a 30 to 35 gram protein serve. If it's from meat, you'll normally get it from a 35 to 40 gram serve, like there's sufficient. If you were to eat something that was wheat derived, it's like you need 100 grams of protein. Now, but we're talking about 40 grams and 100 grams of protein, not 40 grams of a powder correct. or 100 grams of the food. Yeah, actual protein. Actual yeah. protein, yeah. So all of the vegetarian and vegan versions typically require you to eat like 50 grams and plus per meal in order to, to flick that switch. 
Now, yep. if we wanted to flick that switch for muscle growth the most amount of times we possibly could in a day, which is somewhere between three and five, and you're a, you know, let's just say you're a 50 kilo female who's eating 120 grams of protein, and you decided, not that you would, but you decided to get all of your protein from wheat, then you would have to have one wheat meal of 100 grams of protein to flick that switch. So it'd be mm -hmm. an incredibly inefficient way. Or you could technically do you know, your 40 grams from X food choice and then fortify with five to 10 grams of EAAs and that would do the job for you. Which in practice makes much more sense because you're going to eat two loaves of bread to get sufficient protein. And then you're going to be definitely exceeding your carbohydrate intake for the day. Yeah. So it, like, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. really like they're there for that opportunity just to sort of eat a normal meal and then sort of, you know, fortify is the perfect word and yeah. supplement that meal with what you need, what's missing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, makes sense. Um, next one, which I think is a really cool supplement actually is curcumin, uh, which is, mm -hmm. uh, it comes from or it's found within turmeric, uh, but it's not very bioavailable within turmeric, hence why it's been extracted and then put into a supplement. So this is actually something you can't typically get very well from food. It's actually one of the legitimate supplements. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, and basically it's an anti, a natural anti-inflammatory uh, that has been shown to be quite effective at increasing people's ability to tolerate more pain in that if they rated their pain when they walked a seven out of 10 in the presence of curcumin use, they may only rate it a six out of 10. So they can now get more work done in the same amount of time, or they can just get more work done in general, like walking on a treadmill if it was the elderly. With less pain. Yeah, with less pain. So, um, and that's because it's a natural anti-inflammatory. Incredibly effective for people that uh, are subjected to consistent inflammatory issues um yeah do you know what else is an anti-inflammatory not training no <laughs> sleeping well eating well stress management um i i feel like the anti-inflammatory things that people do yeah okay the anti-inflammatory things that people do um oh, sorry supplements that they reach for is often their first protocol and adding curcumin on top of eating like an asshole and sleeping like a dickhead isn't going to do very much. So maybe do that yeah. first and then add the stuff. And same rule applies to ice baths, float tanks, all that shit too. Unless you're sleeping yeah. appropriately, they're just a Band-Aid. Uh, we ain't about that Band-Aid life. Yeah, like it doesn't make up for two bottles of wine a day. Unless you're trying to hide that. a wart. I would recommend hiding warts behind Band-Aids. Then I'm about that Band-Aid life. No one wants to see that. Have you ever had one before? Um, on my knee, yes. On your knee, interesting. Yeah. And you know what got okay. rid of it? What? Could have been wise tail, but it was the sap from the little dandelion flower really? in the park. Yep. I had a cluster, this is so gross, but I had a cluster on my neck once and I went to the doctor and he froze them off. Oh yeah, I had that done. To, so I had, I had yeah, two or three on my knee and I got rid of them with the dandelion and I also had one frozen off with uh, the doctor as well. Right, okay, quick fun story. I was in Jamaica. This is just when me and you, like 10 years ago, were just chatting before we got together. And I got ruined by mosquitoes and I had them all down my legs. And I went for a run in the morning in shorts. And um, I was running along with these big red bumps, itching, whatever. And as I stopped to turn around, I stopped and I took a moment to like look at the beautiful ocean. Did I mention it was on the beach? Um, and this local Jamaican guy came up to me and he was like, oh, those bites, they look so itchy. Let me help you out. And he got sap from this tree. It was white and he put it all over like the dots on my leg. And he's like, that should get rid of it. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. And then he's like, now pay me. I was like, well, fuck. Uh, and when, you know, 
desperate situations lead people to do desperate things. And in Jamaica, everyone wants to be your tour guide or give you a tip. And then after they like kind of force you into, into, you know, giving them something. So I thought I'll just take a five USD note just in case I get myself into trouble here. Um, because a lot of the time they don't take no for an answer. Um, and so thankfully I had a five dollar note with me because I was like, no, that's ridiculous. Like you're, you're taking the piss. Well, like, he's like, I'll come to your hotel then. And I was like, no, you won't fuck off. And he was like, I'm going to follow you. You're going to tip me for my services. And I was like, oh, take your $5 and go away. Anyways, I got back to the hotel that I was staying at and I was telling the receptionist like, oh good, like these bites are so itchy. I hope this gets rid of it. They laughed in my face. They're like, that guy just wanted a tip for me. This sap does absolutely nothing. And he did absolutely <laughs> nothing. <laughs> it would have looked like calamine lotion. It was... <laughs> So like such a dickhead tourist. I was covered in white sap too, except the the dandelion white sap turned brown once it hit the skin. Oh yeah, yeah. Not sure why. I'm I'm imagining there's something in there that just kills it off. But anyway, yeah, it seemed to have worked (laughs) and free. Mother nature. And you didn't have to tip a Jamaican man five US dollars. I did not. Didn't even have to tip the old grandma who probably told me to do it. (laughs) You know, cute. Um, I have derailed us. So. We're still under, yeah, the conditionally essential ones. Um, another one that I put in there is ashwagandha, specifically this one called KSM66. That's sort of the patented one. Um, ashwagandha is like an adaptogen uh, and like an anti-stress um, product that you can use. And it's it's definitely, uh, I've seen validity in it being used for decreasing people. So from a research perspective, like anxiety, anyone that is like stress-induced sort of depression, there's some potential benefits for it there just to give some, get, get somebody into a, like a little bit of a less stressed or hyper-sympathetic state. Um, or you could even look at it as like a, if someone can't get into a relaxed state post-training or pre-bed, this is sort of one of those ones that pre-bed is potentially beneficial, uh, being an, an adaptogen and, and, and helping out with stress. So 400 to 600 milligrams is sort of the dosage that you want. Um, the one thing that is somewhat be is worth being cautious on the uh, ashwagandha front, though, is that if you take too much of it too frequently, there are some individuals that are sensitive to its um, sort of mood. How would you call it? Like mood dampening benefits. So if you have somebody that's like kind of like hyped and like stressed and always sort of anxious and that ashwagandha is great, but if they take mm-hmm. too much of it too frequently, you can also become a little bit like eh, and a little bit like right. somber. So okay. it has like that reverse effect, like can happen with antidepressants with some individuals where they're like, they lose their personality, so to speak. Um, so like be dieting. cautious with its use. Um, it shouldn't be used. I think like, you know, all the time, like we're saying here, it's conditionally um, beneficial in that you may be using it to sort of, if you're in a hyper-stressed environment for a period of time and you want to try and offset that, that sympathetic tone that you may have where like your heart rates up and your blood pressures up and your sleep is poor, then maybe using something like that would be advantageous acutely. Obviously, fix the things first. Um, Another one put in just as a quick one, just out of uh, one for people to think from a curious perspective is calcium. Now, you're not really going to see any benefits from calcium in the research, typically for most individuals, because it's not something that is is largely studied. But most people that listen to this, and I shouldn't say that because I may be offending people. Most bodybuilders that live within the bro world are largely over-consuming protein. And overconsumption of protein is potentially calcium leaching. Um, and then we also have the bro law that dairy is considered to be bad for some reason when it is actually- Not a clean food. Yeah, like from a, from a um, 
you know, like a, a gross population, um, longitudinal sort of research, dairy seems to be more associated being anti-inflammatory than it does a pro-inflammatory. So that goes against that. But if you're a non-dairy consuming, over-protein consuming individual, there is potential that you may be leaching calcium. Um, and we only have a certain level of reservoir of, of calcium that we, we drop down with, uh, sorry, that we deposit from a bone mineral density perspective leading through adolescence and then into adulthood. So potentially calcium supplementation in the presence of high protein may be worth it, especially in the absence of dairy. And if you're a female um, as well, coming, coming through um, adolescence as well, that might be a, a good idea. Liz? Uh, what would you consider too much protein? I would think it would be anything above three and a half grams of protein per kilo of body weight a day. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one because there's probably no, again, like long, longitudinal research on like how much protein and for how long is required in order for this mm. to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say like, you know, that maybe you're, you're increasing your risk profile. Yeah, if you're above the three to three and a half grams of protein per kilogram for an extended period of time, what like is an extended period of time? I don't yeah. really know. Um, yeah. But it is, it's maybe one of those things that is just worth considering. I kind of almost put it in here as it, almost as like an adjunct to say, if you just refuse to change your ways on high protein dosing and low dairy intake, then consider calcium. But if, if you're not, then you probably don't have to worry about using it. Um, okay. So yeah. Cool. Um, the last ones we have are the ones that are conditionally beneficial potential, but are likely used frequently. Okay. And so ones largely, that listeners are probably taking. Yeah, listen, and are largely unnecessary for the for most of the people that are probably taking them. All right. And the three of them are greens powders, multivitamins, oh. and probiotics. I have a bone to pick with greens powders, but you go first. No, far away. So greens powders, for those who aren't familiar with what they are, it's a green powder. It's in the name. Um, essentially a powdered version of vegetables. Some people put fruit in there as well, but then we also have red powders, which are usually fruit dominant. But anyways, I find people justify eating like an asshole because they take a greens powder and they're like, what? I don't eat my fruits and vegetables, but I, I supplement it with a greens powder. Like it's not the same because even if you are replacing the micronutrients, you're not replacing the fiber the food volume, the good habits, um, the satiation that comes from eating a good quantity and variety of fruits and vegetables. So it's, it's really no justification and you sound like a dickhead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think there's like three things with these superfood powders. Let's call them as general. One is that the largest benefits you get from the consumption of fruit and vegetables <clears throat> are the micronutrients that they have. And then the fiber that they can, that they, they also contain. And then those are both like, you know, like um, anti, anti-aging or pro-life, pro-health. Pro and then also like anti, in, I was going to say like anti-cardiovascular disease, but they're more so like prophylactically beneficial for individuals trying to reduce the risk profile for cardiovascular disease because fiber has a role in playing, uh, has a role to play in that as well. Plus it has a role to play in, um, gastrointestinal health, which we'll probably talk on just briefly when we get to probiotics as well. So like you're missing out on those. The other thing is that fruit in nature typically has cofactors like vitamins and minerals that work in unison together or in synergy together, uh, which we don't know if it necessarily happens within the powders that are man-made because the quantities that are put in them are not 
found in nature as they are. And that's not necessarily that we don't want to, we don't want to rely on the, like the natural fallacy of because it's natural, therefore it is better. That is not necessarily the case because curcumin is a great representation of why that isn't the case. If you take curcumin from turmeric, you're not going to get the benefits as what you do. You would, if you get the actual like bioidentical synthetic version that men have made because it's been made to be more uh, effective. Or women. Yeah. No, no, women have made. This is true. Um, I, I'll say um, homo sapien. Uh, that, that homo sapien <laughs> that has made. People have made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we don't really even know if they do what they claim to do. The, there's a large reliance on the logical fallacy of greens and powders and, and that and superfoods to say because there is more and it's more concentrated therefore it must be better mm-hmm. uh, and there's just no research i'm familiar with that suggests that they actually do what they claim to do hence why they are largely unnecessary now we could argue that they're going to be in the conditionally beneficial one because maybe someone is refusing to eat fruits and vegetables because they just hate them then in those conditions better than nothing but for all of you who are listening, who are willing to eat fruits and vegetables, and you should, then those things will typically outperform um, mm. these powders. And just to quickly uh, asterisk it before someone then says, oh, but you know, our fruits and vegetables of today in 2023 aren't the same as what they were back in the day. Like our soil has been you know, disrupted, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, look, again, you can, you can say that may be true, but the reality is, is that when we look at the consumption of individuals over the last 50 years, which includes these last 10 to 20 years of agriculture where they're, they're claiming these problems, individuals who eat more fruits and vegetables are almost always healthier in that they have a lower risk for all-cause mortality. Uh, so in practice, that claim does not eventuate. Mm. You know, I was just thinking as you were talking, greens powder has a place for people with like, I don't know, some irritable bowel disease who needs to have a low-fibre diet, um, a low-volume diet that still wants to get micronutrients in. So, yeah, maybe not a waste of money for them, conditionally beneficial. But, you know, that's such a small slice of the population. Yeah, or someone coming maybe out of like a, a, a some form of GI surgery um, or yeah. someone who's had lap band or something like that. Any, yeah. Anywhere where you're, you're limiting your capacity to consume food, sure. In volume, yeah. But they are certainly not necessary for the large majority of people. Yeah, yeah. And like multivitamins are kind of in the same world as that. They're, they're realistically the same. You know, yeah. if you if you go back to uh, episode number one on this and you listen to the, the concept of part taking one, you your know, own magnesium. One. Yeah, sorry, power. Mag, your own magnesium, your own zinc, your own vitamin D and your own fish oil, then they're all the things that you can't typically get from your diet. So then yeah. the multivitamin that then go and adds more of those on top of it is largely unnecessary. Yeah, well, especially when if we consider uh, water-soluble vitamins, any excess over and above what you need at that point in time detected by the kidneys excreted through urine. So it's not like, you know, you're, you're storing any for later unless we're talking about fat-soluble vitamins. Um, yep. So, yeah, just literally pissing it down the toilet. And they're often like the, in the smallest quantities possible. So, mm, yeah. All right. Uh, next, you've got what is it? Fat burners. Well, no, just quickly, probiotics. Uh, the reason oh. I put them in conditionally essential is because, from from what I'm aware of, is there's like one or two strains that have been shown, at least in the research, to be beneficial for particular, um, like cases, very particular cases where they've come off a particular disease state. Um, then a certain strain may be beneficial to try and repopulate the gut. But in most of the research that at least I'm familiar with. Um, 
when you compare somebody even say coming off like a, an antibiotic course who's had disruption to the gut microbiome, those individuals who take the probiotics and then there's individuals who don't take them, they both end up in the same place roughly around the same time. Um, and this, I think, is largely because we don't really have too much of a, a capacity to manipulate our microbiome. We also have no idea of what a good or bad microbiome is because it, it is, it is um, geographically dependent. Um, mm -hmm. All of I'm by no means um, skilled in GI health, so take this you know with a grain of salt. But all of the individuals who are at least at the top of the game of there, as far as I'm aware, are also not uh, pro probiotics. Uh, what they all typically are are pro food because if you're consuming fermentable foods, if you're consuming things like dairy, you're going to be getting probiotics naturally from those. It's and then if you yeah, if you if you're consuming um, foods that then have fiber, you're also getting the prebiotic food that is rele relevant to feed those pr uh, probiotics that you want. So food is still going to be your, your uh, thing to lean on here. Um, yeah. It's still your weapon of choice. Yep. And um, they are largely a waste of money. Yep. Mm, yeah. Yeah. The, the individuality when it comes to the benefits of probiotics, it's so varied compared to something like creatine, for example. Like there really is no average person when it comes to probiotics. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, yeah. We're running short on time, Dean, so we should probably get through the last bit. Yeah. So the, the waste of money ones are ones that are basically there because what they claim to do is not what they claim to do. And you can just buy the things that are maybe beneficial in them on their own. So number one is branched-chain amino acids, BCAAs. You don't need them because if you ever use essential amino acids, they have them in there. And two, all of the research done on BCAAs shows zero benefit. Beyond mm -hmm. And if you're eating sufficient protein, you're getting uh, all the amino acids that yeah. you require. Literally, yeah. if they compare water to BCAAs, results are the same. So <laughs> yeah, drink water. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're used to taking BCAs before your workout or during a workout and that sort of sweet flavored drink, you know, you associate with getting pumped up and having a good training session, swap it for, I don't know, diet Ribena, sugar-free cordial sugar-free Gatorade or, oh, you know, have the full sugar thing if you've got the carbs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, so they're likely not causing any problems, um, but so if you want to put the money Expensive into Expensive sweet water though, isn't it? Yeah, by all means, go for it. But yeah, diet right cordial is fucking legit if you're in Australia. Um, yes. Hormone modulators. So anything that claims to modulate estrogen, prolactin like or booster. testosterone. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. They are largely doing absolutely fucking nothing. Um, from a hormonal perspective, um, there's no different story research. if you're taking like exogenous hormones, like if you're injecting testosterone into your butt, this is different to taking a testosterone booster sold over the counter at some supplement store. Yeah, there's usually going to be like for the test booster, there's usually going to be like two claims one, this increases natural testosterone production. And then the other one will be that they, they free up testosterone so that it's more available in the blood. Um, you could maybe argue for the second one being somewhat beneficial for things like vitality and just general energy for an elderly gentleman who is maybe lost a bit of vitality and his testosterone is bound up and not as freely available to be used. Um, there are some ingredients that have shown some promise for that, but it's like a 50, 50 hit on whether or not it may actually do what it claims to do. Um, but anything that claims to increase actual testosterone production via stimulating the, the lady cells in, in the testes is just absolute BS. Uh, there was mm. some promise again years ago with a thing called deaspartic acid, but it just fell flat on the fucking ground real hard, real quick. Um, so 
they're, they're not doing what they claim. And to be fair, even if you went from 20 N moles of testosterone in the blood to 30, that 10 N moles is fuck significant all. It's not enough really to do anything. Much. Um, yeah. And again, even sleep and all the rest of it and all of the things that are necessary in order to drive prime, uh, like, sorry, positive outcomes from a hormone perspective are all done through the things that we've spoken about food, sleep, good sleep, stress management. Yeah. Um, same goes for estrogen. Most people are going to talk about trying to like, detoxify or remove toxic estrogen. And, and that is largely just a claim made up by the supplement industry. Mm-hmm. Bill, sure. Don't waste your money. Peace. Also estrogen nine times out of 10 is beneficial for most individuals, not negative. Um, so trying to think that you can play God and manipulate that is. Well, see, fun. this is the thing like there, there's, um, God, what are the hormone specialists? Enter- Endocrinologists. Endocrinologist, God, I can't, I don't know why I couldn't remember that name. Endocrinologist, study for years and years and years and specialize in hormones, essentially. I think it's hilarious that like coaches with a real low barrier to entry to the industry think that they can somehow like give you some hormone balancing diet something or other. Like, do you even know what a hormone is? Like, are you t- how are you testing and measuring this? Like you're a coach like maybe at best you have some certificate in nutrition like i don't think that you are qualified and able to balance anyone so what does even balancing hormones mean like come on it's absolutely ridiculous it's a huge red flag if there's a coach that's not an endocrinologist um if they're claiming to do that if you see hormone optimization or balancing yeah it's bullshit Uh, and here's the funny thing right if I'm an endocrinologist and you come to me and you're a male and I test your testosterone and you're low, legitimately low, you require some hormone replacement therapy or testosterone replacement therapy. Am I going to go to the supplement store on the corner and give you a test booster or am I going to give you actual testosterone? Yeah. I'm well, giving you testosterone because that shit fucking works and we've tested it, you know? Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. I'm certainly not. Now, now, if I was a general practitioner doctor and you came to me and we did a blood test and you were low on vitamin D, guess where I'm going to go? to the supplement store to get vitamin D because it fucking works, but mm-hmm. I'm certainly not going there to buy the test booster. So the point is, is like we, if we have blood tests that give us the opportunity to see what's going on under the hood, to use Broderick's term, there are certain things that would be beneficial to use. And sometimes it's going to be over the counter. Sometimes it's going to be pharmaceutical, but uh-huh. the hormones are almost never over the counter. They're all woo woo. Like the over the counter hormones are all a bit. Yeah. It's all woo woo. Woo woo is yeah. the best way. Homeopathic woo woo. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So do all the homeopaths out there. Not really. But Literally, you're dropping the ocean. Oh shit. It's bullshit. <laughs> like, you know, I shaved off <laughs> half a fingernail and put it in this water, but it's got it's got all of this particular minerals in it. It's going to make your hair straight. Oh, man. If anybody is unsure of the bullshittery um, in homeopathy, read a book by Ben Goldacre called Bad Science. Amazing book. It basically like myth busts a whole bunch of scientific bull crap. Like people are putting um, pads on their feet to extract toxins and oh, yes. um, those like earwax candles and like all sorts of things that people believe yeah. is rooted in science, homeopathy being one of them, and just explains point by point like how exactly it's bullshit. So I highly recommend that book. It's it, It'll definitely improve your scientific literacy. Yeah, it's a cracker. Uh, last but not least is fat burners. And what I'm going to say about these is 
any of the ingredients that are in them that claim to increase the ability of your body to get fat out of the cell so it can be burned as energy, bullshit. Any of the ingredients in them that claim to drive up metabolic rate of any kind of significant level that would make a difference to your calorie burn, bullshit. Things in there that may uh, suppress your appetite, e.g. stimulants, absolutely efficacious, but you can just buy the stimulants on their own. Don't buy the fat burner in air quotes. Caffeine, for example. Yeah, buy, go to the chemist and buy some no-dos. Or enjoy an actual coffee with your friends out because it'll also take time. And time is good because it means it will be time spent not eating. Mm. I mean, people might be thinking, well, you know, if fat burners don't work directly by burning fat, but they suppress my appetite and give me more energy so I move more, don't fat burners then work? Like the answer is uh, indirectly sure, but it is an expensive way to get appetite suppression and more energy. And also it's a short-term solution because unless you're trying to lose weight for a single event and then you want to put the weight back on, you're not going to take a fat burner forever and ever and ever. You're better off figuring out ways that you can move more and manage your energy balance or consume fewer calories long-term if you want the results long-term. Yeah, but even then still, it's not the fat burner that is working. It's the appetite suppressant that's working. So go and purchase an appetite suppressant. Don't go in and purchase a fat burner. Yeah. I mean, start smoking. Re- replace yeah. your, your Kit Kat with a cigarette. To be perfectly honest, like nicotine's fucking pretty good. Um, nicotine is a good appetite suppressant. That was a joke though, people. Don't, yeah. don't start smoking. There is, you can do whatever just, the fuck you want. Because you made that comment, it just made me think, there is one um, product that is potentially in some supplements that is actually pretty damn good at getting fat out of the cell, but it's illegal in Australia over the counter. So like, it's not really something that's available, but your Himbine HCL hydrochloride definitely has some um, efficacy in regards to its potential benefits for improving your ability to use fats as fuel for a very short window though. We're talking about like a, an, an action time of an hour. It has to be in the absence of food. It should be in the presence of some form of cardio or like aerobic exercise. So it's not like going to do much for you if you don't tick all these boxes. And it typically is only going to be majorly effective at the back end of fat loss phase. So it's not worth commenting on, but you, if someone, before someone at me comes at me with an at me, Oh yeah. But what about your himbine, bro? Well, there you go. Covered off. Okay. Hmm. Uh, okay. Shall we start wrapping it up? That's a wrap up. That's it. Done. Okay. Excellent. Hope you guys have enjoyed the part one and part two of the supplements series. If you haven't listened to part one, go and do that. Hmm. Part one was good. Uh, we covered the things that would probably be beneficial to you. So do that before you start taking any of these supplements. But we like to wrap up each episode with how to be less shit tip. I guess the tip would be don't take fat burners or waste your money on BCAs. Probiotics, probably not helpful either. Hard to say, really. Spend your money on something else. Would you give a less shit tip differently, Dean? No, my last shit tip would be uh, stick with the, I think there was about six supplements in the first episode. Yeah. Um, stick with those and then consider the addition of one to two. And then if you think that you're still missing something, then consider the addition of a third or a fourth, but always try and start with the least and add on an as needed basis. Mm. Um, yeah. I will cool. say too, I'd be interested if, if anyone's got this far and they've listened this far, screenshot and tag us and then ask us about another supplement if we've missed any yeah uh, i'll be interested to see ask us out there. for sure um okay so something worth sharing which we like to do at the end of every episode before the would you rather i am just going to draw back to the bad science book by ben gold that i mentioned before it is worth sharing 
He also has another book called, I think you'll find it's more complicated than that, which I've also read. It's his sequel. I don't think this is good. Mm. It's not that the book isn't good. It's just that bad science was so good that it didn't quite match it. So I was, you know, I was disappointed because there was, it was a high starting point. Yeah, that is a good book. Would you rather, mm-hmm. Dean, mm-hmm. have a pebble in your shoe at all times or have a gritty eye? Oh, I you know, I couldn't have the gritty eye in, and still be in a relationship with you because you would leave me. I would elbow you in the face. Yeah, I would, so end up, Dean, I would end up with a gritty eye and a black eye. <laughs> Dean <laughs> has always like, irri- like red irritated eyes and he's always fisting his face and it pisses me off to no end. Even on the egg though, do I have the irritated eye that requires me to scratch it or do I have an irritated eye because I scratch it? I don't know, but you need to stop touching your face because don't oh my god you're like the most annoying person i find it so disgusting when he itches his eyes oh so i'm, I'm gonna go with the, sh- the the pebble in the shoe i can tolerate that pain uh and a gritty eye with a twitchy eye in public is just awkward for everyone Liz, yeah, it is. would yeah. you rather have like a very faint five o'clock shadow style monobrow or rather thick wispy sideburns oh like the curls come down to the, the curls of the of your sideburn comes down to the 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 depth of your ear, like to the tip of your earlobe. Mm, because I'm a dark olive person, I feel like I could get away with sideburns more than like a blonde person. Mm, but the five o'clock shadow monobrow. I think I'm going to go full Frida. I'm going to go the the five o'clock shadow monobrow. If it's not like a proper monobrow. Mm. Which you I know, definitely you know, would have a proper it looks one like if it I did. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do that one. Yeah. Yeah. What would you rather I have? Probs the. Uh, oh, I don't know. I was gonna. My my <laughs> initial my initial gut reaction was to say I'd rather you have the light mono. Because that really like wispy sort of curly sideburn sometimes is a bit funny. Um. <laughs> You used to have a friend that had them, and they always bothered me. Um, <laughs> I know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, anyway. Um, okay. So maybe I would go with the monobrow. Again, I'd be like, she's half Lebanese. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Before I started plucking my eyebrows, which I did at a very young age, maybe like 12, I had the, like, baby fluff in the middle of the brow situation, so... As an adult, I would have a full-blown Frida. Mm. So there you go. All right. Love no it. Worries. Let's go get sushi, Frida. <laughs> Let's go get sushi. Thanks for hanging out with us again, everyone. Uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Peace. Peace.